Hello and thanks for joining me on the second episode of Stories, the podcast for property investors. I'm Stuart Semple and today as my guest I have Niall Scott, the property investor and HMO trainer who uh, has very kindly agreed to join me. So without further ado, let's get started with today's episode. Okay, so I am here today with Niall Scott, who has very kindly agreed to be my next guest on the podcast, Stories, and um, welcome, Niall. Thank you, Stuart. It's uh, really, really happy to be here. Thanks for inviting me on. Oh, you're very welcome. And we've known each other for a couple of years now, and um, I have listened to your story in uh, in the bar a few times um, <laughs> over a few <laughs> few gin and tonics, but uh, it's it's great to have you on, and I look forward to um, maybe finding out a bit more. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, that's cool. Uh, yeah, we, we've uh, we've become acquainted over the past few years, so it's uh, it's definitely we've got to know each other uh, quite well through networking and uh, yeah. meetings and stuff. So it's been quite cool. Yeah, absolutely. So. Um, how did you get into property investing? Um, well, I was uh, b- b- before I became a property investor. I was working as a contractor uh, in uh-huh. financial services, um, and worked in in central London, worked in Canary Wharf, places like that for uh, like the ombudsman services and uh, those types of organisations. Um, and I always I always wanted to do something different. Um, I knew that uh, working in a nine to five job was not something that really was suitable for my personality style. Um, so <laughs> I, I, I moved jobs so often. Um, every couple of years, I was looking for another job because I would get annoyed with the processes and the procedures and the restrictions that were um, around working in a nine-to-five environment. Um, mm-hmm. But I, to be honest, I, I never did anything about it for such a long time. I just moved from job to job to job and didn't really think about being self-employed being an entrepreneur or being a property investor anything like that was complete it was a complete alien concept to me um but then when um in um october i'm sorry october it was in december 2014 uh my father passed away um and after that happened it was it was just like a wake-up call for me um i had i had a decent job i had a decent income but i hadn't really thought about what happens next. I hadn't really prepared for the future. I didn't think about a pension plan. I didn't think about, you know, having a a savings nest egg tucked away for a rainy day. Um, And it was when when my father passed away that I really thought, hang on a second, Um, I need to wake up and pop myself on here and actually be a wee bit more prepared for what what the future holds. Because uh, if I don't do something to look after myself, no one else is going to do it for me. Um, yeah. And that's that's why I became uh, a property investor. Yeah, were, were you close to your dad? Yeah, we had a we had a close relationship. He was he was he was a lot older. Um, so he mm-hmm. um, I'm I'm 38 now, and if he were alive, mm-hmm. he'd be 85. Um, so he was he was an older an older father. Um, yeah. But we had a we had a good relationship. Uh, very very close. He was a very loving guy. Uh, very gentle. Very calm. Um, and he was, I guess, what you could call like an, a traditionalist. Um, so he was the he was the person that went out and worked really hard, earned the money to raise the kids, and my mum stayed at home and looked after us all. Um, yeah. So it was a they had a really good um, marriage, really good example, I guess, if you like, to start off. 
as how it should be done. Um, yeah. Uh, where they worked really well together. Um, and um, yeah, so we we did have a good relationship with with Dad. Yeah. And when he passed, you you felt a a sort of something in you to to get prepared for the rest of your life or or financially something it stirred something in you. Most definitely, yeah. There were there were two two elements to it, I guess, or two things that were in my head was that, like I said, my, my dad was, my parents were like a very traditional style uh, marriage where my mm-hmm. my dad went out and worked and earned all the money. So I thought, I had this thing in my head then, I was like, well, what happens to mum now? You know, who who mm-hmm. looks after her? Who provides for her financially? She's she's, she's a pensioner now. So she's, she's quite stable. She's secure. She has her, uh, you know, the money that my, my dad had left her and everything and house and doesn't have an extravagant lifestyle. But I just thought to myself, well, if she gets really ill um, and needs medical attention or if she needs help in any way, either financially or whatever, like if I'm stuck in a nine to five job earning pittance per, per month, um, yeah. then I'm not going to be able to, to support her, um, nor would I be able to support myself when I get to that point as well. So I had a, I felt like uh, I, it would, the, the, the need was on me to to be the provider after my father had passed away right that's quite powerful yeah, yeah it, it, it it's it's really strange actually how quickly um things changed for me because my father passed away in december um mm-hmm. and in march i had started my property training courses and it just took off from there um, yeah. i never haven't looked back since uh, two years <laughs> after starting my training i quit my day job and i'm now in property full-time so it's um I think I've seen a lot of a lot of people um, uh, like shouting and saying how easy it is to get into property and how rich you can become and you can get rid of the box mm. and you become financially free. And I guess to a certain extent it is true, but you have to put a hell of a lot of work into it. It's not a get rich quick scheme. Yeah, uh, it doesn't do. happen. It doesn't happen overnight. It's not all. It's not all a bed of roses. Um, there are good days and lots of bad days. Um, but if you put your if you put the effort into it and you have a clear vision, a clear goal, a clear why you want to do it, yeah. then come hell or high water, you can make it happen. I am uh, I'm curious to hear more about um, bad days, you know, about the struggles. But um, <laughs> for for the for the moment, uh, you said you know by March 2015 you had started uh, learning about property investing. How did you get into it? Like, what was the did you see something? Did you read a book? How did you get involved? Um, well, a friend of mine um, had been investing in property uh, a few years before me. Um, and we worked at, at that point when she started, she was like 18 years old. Her and her mum uh, attended some training courses. Um, and we were working in a pub together at that point um, in a Weatherspins, mm-hmm. <laughs> to be precise. Um, and <laughs> she and her mum got quite successful uh, relatively quickly. Um, mm. And I was baffled by how they were able to do that. And but back at that point, this is going back to like 2007, 2008 time. Yeah. Um, and in, in my mind, I was saying I had a completely different mindset, a completely different approach to to uh, to the world and to life in general. Um, mm-hmm. So I was I always thought I would, it's it's okay for them, which is a phrase that I now really dislike because mm. <laughs> when I heard myself saying it, I thought, what? Am- why are you saying that? You know, why is it all right for somebody else and not for you? Um, but that was my mindset at the time. Um, and see, seeing them becoming so successful and, uh, you know, just, just getting on with it. 
really questioned the whole process for me. Um, and then when I when I started the training myself, I thought, you know what, it's not about the actual person being lucky. It's just taking the right steps and doing the right things and being around the right people um, that, that makes yeah. a difference. And taking a lot of action over and, and over taking again. Taking a hell of a lot of action, yes. <laughs> you can do all yeah. the training courses you want to take and attend all the meetings uh-huh. you want to attend, but if you just come back, go back home and do nothing about it, then nothing's going to happen. <laughs> hmm. And what was that early experience like for you learning about property investment? How did it go? Um, it was very daunting, to be quite honest. Um, there was, there's, un, there's so much information to take in. Um, and there is even like, you, you, I, I knew why I wanted to do property. So I wanted to be financially secure. And everyone talks about financial freedom. But I think it's, a, it's, it's bigger than that. It's, if you just go into it looking at the money, then you'll, you'll struggle to make anything of it. Um, it, it. It was more than that. It's about providing stability and security and having freedom. Um, and yeah. creating a lifestyle that I can be happy with, not just yeah. the money that, that comes into the bank. Um, so I, I found it quite daunting to start with. Um, I didn't really know which strategy I should be doing. I didn't know where to start. Should I do buy to let? Should I do rent to rent? Should I do HMO? Should I do service accommodation? You know, there's so much to 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 look at. Um, yeah. So what I was taught at the very beginning, and I think it is pretty much a good way to start is just to start small um mm-hmm. cut cut your teeth with a little uh, what we refer to in trade baby buy to lets and um, so little <laughs> yes. cheap and cheerful uh, buy to let properties which um they're not exactly um all singing all dancing they don't give you hundreds and thousands of pounds in the bank account every month but they're stable they're secure um they are uh, reliable income streams that come in every month um, yeah. So I think I started off with that, got used to the process, um, and just by doing that and following the steps of working with agents, working with solicitors, working with um, the whole the, the vendors and everything, just uh, was it was the best learning uh, experience. Uh, mm, so I, you, I you learn more from getting stuck in and, and getting involved. Yeah. Yeah, I know a lot of people are. Everybody has their own personalities traits and mm. have their own preferences and ways of learning to do things um but for me specifically it was getting stuck in and actually doing it um was the best way to learn how or what not to do if you if, if not not necessarily what to do but what not to do learning from the mistakes yeah tell me about your first property did you make any mistakes there Ah, uh, god yes <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so the first one uh, was a little uh, two up, two down, um, mid terraced property uh, in Burnley in Lancashire. Mm-hmm. Um, purchase price was fifty thousand pounds, and it had been on the market for quite a while. Uh, the lady that owned it before me uh, also had it as a buy to let, um, but she was just uh, she had had enough um, and wanted out of the out of the rental and out of the rental market. Um, so I bought it in uh, 2015, and the purchase price, like I say, was £50,000. Uh, we're now five years down the line, and it's still worth £50,000. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, it wasn't it was it wasn't a money in money out deal. Um, right. But to be to be fair, it wasn't. Uh, it didn't cost an awful lot of money to refurbish it. It was a lick of paint, mm-hmm. uh, a touch up of um, touch up in the kitchen just to make it look a little bit nicer. 
um, and uh, and then it rented. Yeah, changed the bathroom suites and then it rented out quite easily. Um, so yeah, so I guess the, there were learnings from that one. It, uh, it didn't it didn't pull all my money out of the first deal. Um, it wasn't it wasn't the the sexiest deal that I've ever done. It wasn't the best deal that I've ever done. But that house has been rented consistently, um, yeah. and throughout this whole. Uh, pandemic and crisis that we're in um, I haven't had any voids or any issues with rent coming in from it so it's yeah it's uh, it's the way that I look at the rent that buy to let properties is that they are um, it's it's uh, jammed for the future so it might mm-hmm. not be bringing in a lot or it doesn't provide me with a lot of income right now um, mm-hmm. maybe a couple of hundred quid a month but mm-hmm. uh, I've got that asset uh, ready and it's in in the bank if you like for when I need it yeah. in the future. That's part of what attracted me to property is that you do the work, you buy the property, you find it, you offer, you negotiate, you you own it, you refurbish it, you rent it out, and then that's pretty much your work done. Other than a bit of um, communication with the agent here and there, and maybe a, a refurb a few years down the line, yeah. and it, it produces <clears throat> income for you forever. Exactly, it certainly does. And I'm, up until this point, I've been quite hands off with the mm-hmm. um, management of the properties. And starting to look at it slightly different now. The, the more properties we have, the more agents that are involved, um, and the, I guess the more difficult it is to keep a handle on everything. Um, so we're looking at systems and processes. <laughs> excuse me, uh, to bring it more in house and to have more of a control over it. But yeah, other than uh, get a monthly uh, rental statement from the agent. Um, mm-hmm. If there are any problems, any leakages, any anything that goes wrong, then tenants contact the agent. So I don't need to yeah. necessarily worry about it. Um, mm-hmm. I do like to know what's happening. I do like to have my finger on the pulse. And um, mm-hmm. if if the border breaks down, I need to know when it's broken down, what happened, um, yeah. and be on top of it so it's fixed and resolved as quick as possible. Um, mm-hmm. But I don't have to actually get in the car and drive five hours up to Burnley. To, to fix it myself, <laughs> um, which is which is how I've been able to build a portfolio of, of rental properties um, in various locations without ha- without having to be there myself. Be there. That first property was it a struggle? Did it take you a long time, or or was it something that came fairly quickly for you? Um, I found it because I did the training course. I found the property and did the viewing on my training. Um, so I had a, a mentor wow. um, and we did a, a mentorship, uh, which was in Burnley. Um, so my mentor came with me and we spent two days on site yeah. and um, viewing properties, speaking to agents, just getting an idea of how the whole thing worked. Um, mm-hmm. So it was on that mentorship that I found this property. Um, offer was accepted pretty much straight away. Um, I think the, the most difficult part for me was was actually mm-hmm. raising finances to purchase the property or to mm. complete mm-hmm. that process because um, well one thing I haven't said is that you know, I work with uh, angel investors because although I had a decent job before I got into property um, like I said I hadn't really thought about the future I hadn't thought about a pension pot or a savings pot so I didn't have I didn't have any savings or any money yeah. tucked away to actually buy the properties myself so and you would have look, needed what 15 20 grand or something to to buy that first one yeah. to refurbish it yeah exactly so about twelve and a half thousand was for the deposit and then mm-hmm. whatever a bit on top of that yeah you're right so up, up to about 50, uh, 20 grand just to yeah refurb do the paint pay for the solicitors that type of thing 
Um, and that was the biggest hurdle for me to to get mm. over. It was it was a mindset shift rather than an actual physical uh, thing to deal with. Um, what what great changed? Great learning. You Sorry? said it was a, a mind. You said it was a mindset a mindset shift. What what changed for you? Um, I think it was the belief that I could do it um, myself. Um, like I said, when 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 I saw my friend and her mum being quite successful, um, I, my my mindset at that point was it's okay for them, but I can't yeah. do that. And then I would come up with all the excuses under the sun as to why they could do it, but I couldn't. Mm-hmm. Um, and then so so then when I started doing the training and focusing on me, and I think one thing that that is was the biggest learning from all of this is that it's not necessarily the the experience and training and learning how to buy property that's important it was the personal development and the training myself to believe that I could do it um Mm -hmm. and just surrounding myself and being with people who encouraged me rather than uh, and wanted to see me succeed rather than not um so that that mindset shift was the belief that actually I can do this too and I'm no different to anybody else and if you want to do it you can do it I think it was um, one of my, I love I love quotes I love really I love quotes a lot and one of my favorite quotes is I think it's from Henry Ford it's whether you think you can or whether you think you can't mm. you're right so if you believe you can't do it then you're not going to be able to do it um so I it was the changing that belief system was the biggest uh, shift for me that was the difference in being able to do it and not. You began to see yourself as a property investor, someone that could raise exactly. money. And, yeah. yeah, exactly. I'm, 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 as, I'm as worthy and uh, capable of doing it as anybody else. And it's, it's not about being big headed or being, uh, or being uh, cocky about it. It's just being realistic and believing in yourself. Um, mm-hmm. And once I started doing that, then the cogs started to turn and things started happening. Um, yeah. It's not something, obviously, it's it's something I have to work on a lot. Uh, it's mm-hmm. confidence and self-belief is something I need to be aware of because, you know, the 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 uh, little demons <laughs> that take over, uh, they, mm-hmm. they kick in and uh, self-doubt kicks in and you think, God, why am I doing this? And I shouldn't be doing this. And can I do this? And, you know, all the all the negative talk um, but it's just mm. just reminding yourself that that's that's normal that's natural and let it run its course and get back to work yeah so you said yeah. um you know um you started off with buy to lets and they're like a nice foundation and um i know you do a lot of hmos now so what was that transition like and how how did that go how quickly did you transfer from buy to lets into investing in hmos um, so it was, I guess the transition wasn't difficult as such because the process of purchasing a HMO uh, or purchasing a buy select is really no different. Um, the difference comes to comes into play when the, you start the refurbishment and then start finding tenants. Um, so the whole purchase process was identical. So I didn't really have any issues with that. Um, I had bought perhaps two to three buy selects first. And then when I was confident in that process and that strategy, then I thought, well, let's try the next one and try and increase the income slightly. Because um, in order to uh, quit the day job, sack the boss, whatever you want to call it, um, you need to be able to have a sustainable income coming through. 
Um, and whilst Vitalets are really secure and they're really uh, easy to work with, the, it, it would take quite a few of them to be able to uh, replace the day job income. Um, yeah. Uh, so that's when so I, that was the I, sort of motivator for you to, to 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 move faster towards giving up the job. Exactly. Yes. The my, my motivating factor initially was to uh, get rid of the day job and have enough income coming through from property so that I didn't have to rely on the boss or anybody else to support me. So it was all about for me. It was all about being um, self sufficient and not reliant on anybody else so that I could paddle my own canoe, if you like. Um, yeah. Uh, so that that was quite a big motivating factor. Um, so it was it was about I would say about a year after starting that I looked at purchasing my first uh, HMO. Um, yeah. And uh, Vitalets, like I say, were in Burnley and knew that Burnley wasn't really the place to set up HMOs at that point. There wasn't a, an, enough of a demand for it. Um, so I looked at different areas and settled on the Midlands. So uh, my first HMO was in Coventry. Um, so again, it was Excellent. just uh, an end of terrace, three bedroom house that I purchased and did built an extension at the back, uh, mm-hmm. completely refurbished it uh, and turned it into a five bedroom HMO. Great. Um, so that, that process was, uh, I guess it, it wasn't that difficult, actually. And I think it, 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 for me, it all comes down to the people that you surround yourself with and mm-hmm. the people you have in your network. Um, so two people that we network with, Stuart, uh, on, a, on a regular mm-hmm. basis uh, are based in the Midlands. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, Donna and Trevor uh, run yeah. their own property portfolio, but also have a mm-hmm. construction company as well. Um, so uh, I and I knew that I had a reliable build team on site. Um, yeah. And because they are not just friends, but they're uh, professional at what they do, they know all the compliance because going to into HMOs is a lot more compliance and legislation to be aware of than Vitalets. Yeah. Um, they they knew the whole process, so I could I wouldn't say I could take a complete backseat uh, and just let mm-hmm. them get on with it, but I knew that they were uh, looking after the project and I didn't have to be there every five minutes to look over their shoulders and make sure that they were doing everything right. Yeah, have you been caught out by that at all? Being too uh, in the backseat and and missing something. Yes, most definitely. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The, the next one after the after the Coventry project, I started working with uh, another guy, and we built up a, a, a like a, a business, if you like. So we made it more official and have a an actual uh, property company rather than just buying right. them in my own name. Um, yeah. And we bought uh, property in Nuneaton, which is about half an hour outside of Coventry. Um, and because I had such reliance and faith in the Coventry team, that I didn't really think about not putting the same faith in other people. Um, so uh, I got caught out quite badly. The build contractor that was on site, um, him and his project manager fell out um, and didn't tell us. Um, so they were, um, they were they, there was nothing happening on site for about a month uh, and I didn't know. Um, mm-hmm. So that delayed the whole process. Uh, they weren't as clued into the whole um legislation and uh, requirements for uh, licensing so they some of the stuff that they had done had to be redone um, mm. and then then there was a, an issue where I'm not sure if it was their side or our side but we received an invoice from them um, with new bank details on it and it was such a novice and such a silly thing to do um, yeah. but they had they had changed the bank details on this invoice 
so we changed the bank details on our side and made the payment without asking oh them goodness. whether or not they had actually changed their bank account details. And it turns out it was a scam. Oh, um, yeah. So we paid about seven or eight thousand pounds into an unknown account. A um, scammer's account. Wow. Ex- exactly into a scammer's account, and because we did it ourselves, like we changed the bank details and knowingly made the payment, uh, the yeah. banks were like, "Well, it's you know you did this yourself, so it's mm-hmm. the blames on you." Um, we did eventually manage to get the money back because we picked it up straight away. Really? Um, okay. Um, yeah. We got all the money back, but it took about two to three months to get it back. Um, but Was it a case did. of like you clicked the button and then you were like, oh my God, what have I done? Exactly. How did, as soon how did, as we how did, did it, you discover it? Yeah. We did it. Uh, the payment was made like on a Friday evening after the banks had been closed. So I think that was our saving grace is the timing that right. it happened. Um, so we got an email the following day from the builder again saying, still haven't received your payment, you know, uh, what's happening? <laughs> and we're like, um, made the payment yesterday. What are you talking about? Um, uh-huh. And it was, and that, in that conversation, we happened to mention we made it to your new bank account. Have you, you know, are you sure you're checking the right account? And then he was like, well, wow. I don't have a new bank account. What are you talking about? And that was like, oh, my God. uh-oh, what have we done? Yeah. <laughs> I've so, heard about those scams, but I've never met anyone who has been affected by them. I know it's 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 it, thinking about it out loud. It's just like how naive and silly were we just to change the details that easily and not even yeah. consider the fact that it could be a scam. Um, but you know, you you live and learn that and that learn. mistake hasn't been made again. <laughs> no, I don't think you'll make that ever again. <laughs> you, you mentioned earlier about low moments, and that certainly sounds like a low moment. Was that been your worst moment in property? Um, that was definitely one of them. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, one of the worst moments. Uh, there, there. I think the worst experience or the worst moment in property for me was when we had to evict the tenant. Um, really? And that was that was a very challenging experience mm. to go through, um, and not one that I would like to have to go through in a hurry again. Um, the chap moved into um, one of the HMOs, um, and he again, I think it's all about learnings and um, experience. Uh, so this guy had a CCJ, so he had a, a county court judgment mm. on his credit file, which we knew about before he moved into the house, based on the. Uh, background checks that we did um but you know he when the agent met him at the house uh, we, we I, I like to although we've got agents in place i like to find out who's living in our houses and i like to be involved in that process probably annoy the hell out of my agents but i like to know who's moving in who's moving out and any issues that there are um so the agent rang me and told me about this chap and told me the fact that he had a ccj but having met him, he was a really nice guy. He was getting himself back together after a bit of a rocky period. Um, yeah. And he had a job uh, and everything like that and was willing to pay a deposit, month's rent up in advance and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, so I thought, you know what, let's give the chap a chance. A chance. Um, let him help him get back onto his feet again. Give him a roof over his head. Because when you've got a, a CCJ on your credit file, it's very difficult to get a landlord to say, yes, you can live here. Yeah. Um, and unfortunately, he, he moved in, um, paid his re- uh, rent of, uh, month's rent up front and the deposit, mm-hmm. like I said, uh, and that's the only payment he ever made in the house uh, <laughs> or to the, to the to contribution to the rent. Um, yeah. Not only that, he started to 
befriend some other people in the house, which is really good. And we encourage people to get on with each other and build like a little community in the HMOs. Um, but that started to turn sour very quickly. Um, and uh, he, one, of the, one of the guys in the house uh, didn't lock his room, had a car and left his car keys in the house when he went out. Um, so this chap um, helped himself to the car keys and went for a bit of a joyride um, in in the housemate's car <laughs> uh, whilst he wasn't paying his rent. Um, so that started to things little little things like that. He didn't he took the car back, didn't damage it, um, and didn't see the issue with him borrowing it. Um, but because he had parked it in a different spot, was the only reason, the only way that the house the housemate found okay, out he had realized. taken it. <laughs> wow. um, so it. After he'd start, stopped paying his rent, then we, we went through the evictions process to get him out. Mm-hmm. Um, we went to court, uh, won, our, won our case, uh, mm-hmm. but he still decided that he wasn't going to move out. So we had to go back mm-hmm. then and went to the um, county courts, or sorry, the high courts, and um, had to get uh, uh, bailiffs in to remove yes, him right. in the end. Mm-hmm. And that whole process took about seven months. So he wow. was in the house uh, rent-free for seven months whilst we paid all his bills uh, yeah. and he annoyed the other tenants. So they started moving out and we, oh, he was a, a nightmare when uh, we were doing viewings for new tenants. So not only did he not pay his own rent, that he prevented other people from moving in and the house just uh, suffered as a result. We were paying his uh, council tax, his, the mortgage, the internet, the water, the lights, the gas. <laughs> and it was just yeah so that, that was Sounds quite uh, toxic yes that, that was very toxic um yeah you know there you do hear about slum landlords and uh, demon tenants or whatever they're called and mm, but yeah. until you've actually gone through that process it's very difficult to imagine what it's like um so that that was yeah. quite difficult um to deal what, with what lessons did you did you learn from it now would you have done anything differently would you would you do it do anything differently when you know picking a new tenant or, or through the eviction process how would you deal with it um yeah so go, the, going through the eviction process there's quite a there's quite a, a clear and uh strict process that you have to follow so there's not really an awful lot we could have done different on that side mm-hmm. you have to follow the the, the rules of of, uh, of the courts um there are lots of legislation and lots of pieces of uh you know um lo- uh, it's a pieces you have to follow to ensure that you're doing it compliantly and being within on the right side of the law. So we, yeah. I guess that side of it we couldn't change. Um, but I, th- I think on the on the f- the thing that we could change is uh, is is unfortunately knowing that he had a CCJ was the red flag at the very beginning. Mm. Um, so unfortunately, anyone that has a CCJ or has been in that position. Um, is a no-go for us now. So he's kind of right. ruined it for everybody else. He's given us a yeah. really bitter taste in our mouth. <laughs> he really has. Um, we also have uh, insurance in place as well, so that it's really a rent guarantee insurance. Um, okay. So that if someone does stop paying the rent, um, we've got a fallback. Uh, again, it's not a quick process. It doesn't happen overnight, and the money doesn't fall into your account at the click of a button. But it is a it is a bit of a a guarantee that you're still going to get paid at some point. Yeah, and the, the, the insurance company handles the eviction process then, doesn't it? Exactly, the insurance company yeah. does all of that for you. Uh, yeah, and so yeah. obviously then Did, it's, by, by going that route, then it's still all compliant and above board. 
Yeah. Did you handle the eviction process yourself or did you pay um, a company like Landlord Action to, to do it for you? Yeah, so our uh, management agent did it um, right. with, me, with me being in the background watching, watching mm-hmm. what was happening. Um, yeah. So they, they, were on the, they were on the ball. They went to court on my behalf. Um, they sent all the uh, section letters to the tenant, um, mm-hmm. all that type of thing. Um, that's, I guess, it's not a nice thing for them to have to do, but that's what we pay them for at the end of the day. Yeah. That's, what, that's their job. Um, but I was I was in the background just monitoring what they were doing and just making sure that uh, everything was going all okay. So you've got a few battle scars. <laughs> yeah, it's a few a few, a few war wins. Uh, you, you're not yeah. anyone ever gets into property is never going to come out of it unscathed. <laughs> <laughs> so um, you know, you you said your motivating factor was sort of freedom and uh supporting your mom and yourself going into property and um you sort of leaving the nine to five job and you you, you managed that didn't you? you you left your job i did uh, and it's i don't think it surprised anyone more than it surprised myself um what really? that happened because I, like what was I said, it like I was, it was very surreal very surreal i worked as a contractor at, at the, like i said in my last jobs and the last contract i had was uh, it was renewed pretty much every six months um and this for some people this might sound a bit strange but it, it is actually how it happened um i started doing uh, vision statements and i had a vision board um looking at the things that i wanted in my future um mm-hmm. and just visualizing what that would look like and mm-hmm. on my vision board i had that i would sack the boss by the end <laughs> of uh 2017 yeah uh, so that was the december 2017 the contract was due to end in december and i said that i was not going to renew that contract mm-hmm. um come to the end of the contract they offered me another six months and i'm like oh god here comes the conflict the job yeah. is quite easy and I'm, I'm able to work doing my property stuff in the background and mm-hmm. do the day job as well uh, it was not an exciting job. It was not a job that I enjoyed getting up to do every day, but mm-hmm. it was uh, money in the bank account that I was guaranteed to have. And yeah. so that as, that element of it for me was a difficult thing to give up. So I thought, you know what? It's on my vision statement, but I'll, I'll just push it back for six months and <laughs> I'll stop in June. So I did. I, I signed another contract in December and said I would do another six months. And two weeks later, they called me up to say, thank you for renewing your contract. However, we've had a review uh, of our processes and one of our biggest clients has pulled out. So we're letting our, all of our contractors go and that you've got two weeks left. Right. So, <laughs> so the very first or second week in January um, 2018, um, I was unemployed. I was out of the day job. And it's yeah. very strange, actually, that the day that I heard that uh, or was given that notice was the day that we were at our mastermind in Wandsworth. So I got the phone call that day and I thought, well, I couldn't have come at a better time because I'm around people that will appreciate it and understand it and be there for a a supporting hug when I was like, oh my God, what the hell am I going to do now? (laughs) (laughs) So that first emotion, was was it a bit of fear? It was de- most definitely, yeah, because I, yeah. I was so, I, I was 36 at the time, um, mm-hmm. and I started my first uh, paid job when I was about 16, 
So for 20 years, I had been reliant on an income of sorts, even if it was just a weekend job or a summer job at school or whatever it was. Um, I'm so reliant on that and so used to that and being in that routine of doing the nine to five, that that was the biggest transition. It's like, what do I do with my spare 40 hours a day? Oh, yeah. Sorry, 40, 40 hours a week um, yeah. now that I've got it because every, all my friends are still working. And the, 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 the concept and the idea is that oh, that's amazing. I do whatever I want. I've got all the free time. Mm-hmm. The novelty wears off very quickly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I'm, I'm not someone that can just sit at home watching daytime TV um, no. all the time or anytime, to be honest. I've never watched daytime TV. So uh, I ramped up the property business very quickly after that. Mm-hmm. So was there a period where you felt a little bit lost or, or did you quickly um, get more involved with with? Uh, no, there was, a, there was definitely a couple of months where I was like, mm-hmm. what do I do with myself? Yeah. Because I, I, I knew that I didn't want to be working for anybody else. That was a given. I never mm-hmm. liked that. And I was so happy that I was able to actually put that to one side and then move on. But yeah. on the flip side, then it was just like, well, what, what, what's next? What do yeah. I do? If I'm not working mm-hmm. for somebody else, if I'm not doing that um, role anymore, then what what's next for me? What what is my aim? Mm-hmm. Do, you can't you can't spend all the t- your time on holiday. You can't spend all your time on the golf course. You know you can't spend all your time in the pub or socializing. <laughs> although I give it a good yeah. go. Um, <laughs> you know, so it's it was finding finding the next thing to do and finding you know what what I could be involved in that was actually meaningful to me and meant yeah. that I would actually enjoy it rather than resent it because I could mm. have easily just created another nine to five for myself and hated it. Absolutely. And yeah. I, I've watched you um, go through that process a bit and I've seen you become more and more involved in HMOs and, and you're coaching people now and uh, on HMOs, aren't you? Yes. Yeah. So one of the things that we that I started to do um, after the day job was just I, I, I like being around people. I'm a people person. That, that's why mm-hmm. the networking, socializing, um, all of the training events and things that I did was was really good for me because it fitted really well with my personality. One of the yeah. one of my favorite one of the favorite jobs that I had in the past was working uh, in a pub, working behind the bar. Mm. Um, and no, not Weather, Weatherspoons? In the Weatherspoons pub, yeah. So that nice. was uh, meeting people all day every day and you would get all sorts of characters and personalities and people coming in um was by no means the best paid job um but it was by all means my uh, favorite thing to do um and one of my goals now is to actually have a pub myself so that i can that's choose. awesome so i can choose then when i want to work behind the bar when i want to sit on the other side of the bar <laughs> <laughs> i would say I like the latter it. is probably more likely than than uh, than the <laughs> um yeah so that's, that's um so, so just like you say we do train people and um, to yeah. uh to create to start their own hmos and to set up their own hmos and how to do it right how to do it compliantly um i'm not looking to have hundreds and hundreds of of um uh, people on our course we're looking to work with the right people um mm-hmm. so i'm very fortunate and very grateful to be in a position that we can pick and choose who we who we select to come on to the training mm-hmm. That's excellent, and it's um it, it's called the HMO platform. Is that correct? That's the name. That's of correct. Your... Yes, the HMO platform. Yeah. Yeah, 
and um, I'll, I'll put a link up to anyone who's interested in learning more about HMO management and getting into it. Um, they can uh, learn about it from you. Yeah, thank you. Apply, that's, that's, that's very kind. Thank you. It's, um, I'm yeah. more than happy to have a conversation with anybody that's interested um, uh-huh. in finding out, even just finding out more about what we do, put the sales thing or the, the training thing aside. I'm happy yeah. to have a chat with anyone that's interested in finding out a bit more about HMOs. And if they've just got questions, I can help them answer those questions if I can. Awesome. So how, how did you get involved in that? How did that get started now? Um, I think it was basically because myself and uh, my, my business partner, Matt, mm-hmm. uh, had been involved in quite a lot of training um, organizations and we had and masterminds and coaching and, and networking. And we'd seen that there were quite a lot of them um, were actually telling people the wrong things which is very frustrating So and leading people down the wrong paths. Um, so what we decided we wanted to do was to teach people how to do it right um, and do it compliantly. And it's, yes, obviously making a profit is important, but that's not the be all and end all. There is no, I haven't seen an organization yet that actually focuses on the customer. And if you mm-hmm. get that bit right, if you have a, a project or a property that's set up um, to suit your customer, and in this case, obviously, our customers are our tenants, um, then you will automatically generate the income and the money around it because it, you mm-hmm. know people will want to live in your houses. Um, so focusing on the tenant first uh, was something that we saw was missing from the market. Uh, mm-hmm. Working with people and helping people is something that we really like to do. So it just seemed like um, an obvious thing to set up was to teach people yeah. how to do it right. And like I said, it's, we're not looking to create a massive um, organization. We're looking to work with the right people that have the right mindset and want to and believe in what we're doing. That sounds really awesome. I like that. What would be the um, the sort of, uh, you know, a, a quick thing that you see HMO owners uh, not doing that could improve life for their tenants? Like what, what would be a... Um, you know, the, the sort of optimal thing, the optimal fix, um, the first thing on your list to do? Uh, I think the first thing on my list, and I'm guilty, we've been guilty of this ourselves. Um, so mm. it's not something that I'm saying that we're perfect at, but I yeah. think the, the thing that I see missing a lot is connecting tenants with the right housemates. Um, and again, mm, okay. the, the term tenant is, um, I guess it's, it's, it's got some connot- uh, negative connotations with it. So perhaps the word tenant is not the right word to use. Perhaps customer or client is a better phrase. Um, is Because I've always been aware that you should never mix tenants types or mix demographics. So you shouldn't put uh, uh, a group of uh, medical professionals in the same house as a group of first year students because the demographics yeah. will just not mix well together. But mm. in that same vein, um, just because people ha- work within the same profession doesn't mean that their personalities are going to be compatible for living with each other. Um, so what I, I would really like to see a shift in the market in more emphasis on selection of tenants and putting people in the houses or in the properties that actually will get on with each other and create communities for, within their environments. Um, and I think there's a lot to be said for tenant selection. So what I mean by that is tenants picking the people that they want to live in the yeah. house with themselves. And mm-hmm. in, in my view, and I stand to be corrected on this, but in my view, that would increase 
the length of time that tenants stay in HMOs or co-living spaces. I think that's yeah, the make, big, makes that, sense. Yeah, it, it, it does. It does make sense. But I think it's, it's something that's neglected a lot. And like I say, we're guilty of it as well. I'm not saying that we're perfect. Um, we're guilty of making those mistakes ourselves because obviously you want rooms filled. You want that mm-hmm. income coming through every month because yeah. the bills still need to be paid. But mm-hmm. on the flip side, if you've got a tenant that stays 18 months as opposed to a tenant that stays six months, then waiting an extra couple of weeks to fill that vacant room um, will be worth Makes it sense. in the long term. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, the, you, you know, we've spoken a bit about um, the bad days or the, the worst moments. What, what would you say your best moment uh, has been in property? Uh, as cheesy and as cliche as it sounds, it was uh-huh. uh, uh, getting that first deal over the line, that yeah. first little baby buy to let in Burnley. Um, that was the probably one of the most significant moments for me because it was when I started to realize that, hang on a second, it is possible and I can do this <laughs> yeah. too. It's not just for somebody else. Um, mm-hmm. So that mindset shift um, and until you've gone through that process, you, you know, you, people will tell you and your coaches and your mentors and your uh, colleagues will say, it's you can do it. We believe in you and you've got the ability to do it as well. But until it actually comes into fruition and you can see it for yourself, well, for me anyway, um, it was that little switch that went off or got triggered in my head and uh, that made me realize that, hang on a second, they're right. I, I can, can do, do this. this. Yeah. Yeah. I totally so understand that, it. I think that's the same for me. The first first deal, I'd uh, I think I'd put out 136 <laughs> offers uh, and all all knows, and then the 137th uh, was my first yes. And just getting that sort of first one under your belt uh, really does a lot for your confidence. Amazing. Well, that, that's that, that's amazing in itself. So I think that number of offers and taking those rejections on the chin and just going again yeah. and again. It's yeah, that's that's uh, that's not easy to deal with that. But you know, it, no. but to this, there's there's another great quote I heard quite recently is that it'll be all mm. right in the end. So if yeah. it's not all right, it's not the end. Oh, I like that. Yeah, <laughs> you but, still you still got more to go through. <laughs> exactly, there's still more. Yeah. So just because they say no doesn't mean that that's the end of the road. Just keep going, and someone will, will eventually say yes. Yeah. Yeah. And what does the road what does the road ahead look like for you now? What's um what's the plans for the future? Um, well, things have changed slightly um, since uh, lockdown has happened. Um, so I'm not sure when this recording will go out, but uh, at that moment we're in, still in lockdown. Um, yes. So this has been quite a significant time in our business, especially for the training side of it, because we did all that face to face. Um, yeah. So we've 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 um, looked re- looked gone back and looked at the whole training side of the business and not just um, how we, what we can do to improve it, but why we were doing it in the first place and what we can do to give our customers and our clients uh, a better experience. Mm-hmm. So we're we're working really hard on that at the minute. And um, like I say, I work with my business partner Matt, so he predominantly focuses on the training side of the business, and I predominantly focus on the property investment and the development. Um, mm-hmm. So he's working on that in the background um, and looking to ramp that up. Um, and on the flip side, uh, on the property side, um, things that really haven't changed that much in our goals and in our visions for the properties. 
we, at the beginning of this year, we were we had said uh, and put on our plans that we were going to do some um, commercial projects because our commercial projects, sorry, capital projects, uh, because everything we've done so far has been income related. So we've bought properties, we've renovated them, and we've held on to everything for the income. Um, and now we're at the point where we thought, well, we'll do some capital projects, buy some, do them up, and sell them. Um, and as well, it, now because of everything that's happened, that's more likely to happen than not, um, because there, there probably will be a, a dip in the property market, prices will drop, so we'll be able to buy properties cheaper than we would have been before, um, mm -hmm. hold on to them for six to 12 months and then sell them on again. Um, so that really hasn't changed. Our, our, our vision and our goals are still remain the same. I guess the, the, what has changed is the timeline in which we can do it. Uh, because we can't move as quickly as we'd want to move. Um, we can't buy property like we could six months ago. Um, so we have to be a bit more cautious and just extend the deadline for those goals to happen. Yeah. Have you had any deals um, on hold through the, the lockdown? Yes. Uh, so we finished a refurbishment uh, of an eight-bed HMO um, in Warrington and... <laughs> They re, they, we got the handover from the builders uh, the day or the week that lockdown hit. Um, so because of that, we weren't able to get furniture delivered. We weren't able to get engineers out to install the internet yeah. and all that type of thing. Um, yeah. So that has been on hold. It is moving now. Uh, companies are starting to deliver furniture and Great. household goods again. Um, so we're, but it's a bit of a logistical uh, challenge because we've, we're getting bits and pieces from everywhere that we can just to fill the house <laughs> uh, and yeah. get it all done. Um, but we're also ensuring that no two companies or no two delivery uh, uh, people are in the house at the same time. So mm -hmm. that that's a bit of a challenge, um, a but a challenge, we're getting yeah. there. We're getting there. It's also awaiting refinance. Good. We can't refinance it because the valuers can't go out to value it. Can't get it valued. Yeah. Yeah. So we've got about Although three properties. That looks that's... like it's changing soon. It is changing. Yeah, that's changing. Yep. And it's quite, it's quite good to see that because mm -hmm. um, that means we can refinance the properties and get some better investors paid back and things like that, yeah. which is all on hold and out of our control yeah. at the minute. Yeah. You mentioned earlier uh, about sexy deals. Have you, what's, what's been your sexiest deal so far? Oh, that's a good question. Uh, I guess, I think that probably every deal that we do, we learn from it. Um, so even that one in Warrington, when it, when now that it's finished, I'm like, oh, well, if I had to do it again, I would do it different. Um, you yeah. always learn that there's always something different in every project that you think I could have done mm -hmm. that better. Um, probably the sexiest deal was probably um, the uh, we did a commercial conversion um, in, mm -hmm. in, in Warrington, which is actually across the street from the property which we've just finished. Um, and it was an old office building. It was it belonged to a, a, a firm of solicitors. Um, and we've purchased that uh, building, um, used permitted development rights to convert it to residential, uh, converted the basement into a one bedroom flat, did a loft conversion, and just turned a really tired, rundown old office building into a really nice eight bed HMO um, and a one bedroom flat in the basement. And so I think that's probably one of the sexiest th deals that we've done. Um, yeah. It's a couple of years ago now, again, going back on it and looking at the decor and the interiors that we chose at that point, um, we're looking at it thinking, 
yeah, we need to update this again. <laughs> <laughs> was there some some out there choices? Was there? Well, not not necessarily out there choices, but we used um, um, we use interior designers now to uh, to create the interior for our property right. based on the tenant demographic that's going to be living in it. Mm. Um, so that's something we didn't do initially. So uh, the the property there's nothing wrong with the furniture that's in it, but we used a landlord furniture company. Um, so mm. every bedroom has the same furniture and. Uh, and every other HMO in Warrington has the same furniture and the same look as what ours does uh, that we did a couple of years ago. So it's like the property doesn't stand out. It's, there's no there's no incentive for a tenant or a customer to live in that house over anybody else's house. Yeah. So that's why I say we focus really on what the tenant wants now. So we look at them first and we design the property based on the demographic of people that are going to live in it. Um, yeah. So it's just more attractive and nicer for a nicer home for them. So you found it's worth spending that extra money on an interior designer. Most definitely, yeah, most definitely because it 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 makes it it increases the length of time people stay in the house, and that's the most expensive mm. part of the process for any landlord is, is tenant yeah. uh, is having void periods and replacing tenants because you've obviously you've got the deep cleans of the rooms, you've got. A couple of weeks where tenants are not there so there's no rent coming in um all that type of thing and sometimes you have to pay tenant fine fees depending on the agreements you have with your agent so it, it that's a quite an expensive period so it's it's yeah. worth it in my view to spend a little bit extra at the beginning and have an interior designer just add that cost into the cost of your overall refurbishment um right. and um and just consider you know what the house will be like before before you started yeah it reminds me of a, a, a quote that i heard when i was learning about property investment and, and mm-hmm. i know you like quotes so uh, <laughs> it's it's um Car- something caroline clayton said she said um don't look at the price of the shovel while you're digging for gold yes that's very yeah. true I've, I've heard that i have heard that before and I, I quite like that quote as well yeah yeah, yeah very very relevant so uh y- you're obviously um, interested in in quotes and like learning from um, smart people. Do you have any other property investment habits that have helped you along the way? Uh, yes, actually. And again, I think for, for, for me, it's all been about, it's all been a huge learning curve. Um, this whole personal development um, process that, have, that we all go through. And I had no idea it was even a thing before I started investing in property. Um, but one thing that, that has quite helped me a lot is I, I like reading anyway um, so do, I, do, I read a lot of personal development books and, and uh, take action on them um, mm. but o- otherwise they're just shelf help rather than self-help books um, <laughs> like there's no point in buying lots of personal development books and just leaving them together dust or not do any of the action points that are recommended <laughs> in the books yeah. Um, and one of the best they look, that, they look great on the bookshelf you they, know? Look, they look great and it's great fodder for, <laughs> for Instagram just to show how, everybody how well you're doing <laughs> but I think one of the one of the books that I read quite early on and again it was recommended by our by our good friend and mentor and coach uh, Lindsay Hopkins um, and mm. that was The Miracle Morning um, and Lindsay talks about this all the time because it's such a powerful thing and he does it himself and it's his made such a huge difference to him um and it's it's the miracle morning is basically a book where uh this guy just describes uh a perfect start to the day 
um, where he does some exercise, some meditation, some reading, some journaling, um, and he sets himself up to basically face anything that the world's going to throw at him um, that particular day. Um, now, what, when I started reading the book, I thought that I had to follow his um, his process verbatim um, and just do everything that he did. Um, but what I soon discovered was that I have having a, my own version of a miracle morning and doing things that work for me is much more realistic and achievable. Um, yeah. So I do, I do a bit of meditation, I do a bit of reading. Uh, journaling is something that I've tried um, and haven't been able to get into the habit of doing it um, mm -hmm. very well. Um, so that's something I do on and off. Um, exercise, again, I do on and off. I, I, but I, I've tried running, I've tried going to the gym, I've tried all sorts of different types of exercise, but I find that uh, doing yoga, uh, specifically Bikram yoga is something that really sits well with me and I look forward to doing it and I want to do it. So that's the form of exercise that I include in my miracle morning. Um, and I've also awesome. I've never tried that before. It's the this the hot yoga, the sauna, you do it in a sauna, right? Pre pretty much, yeah. So the, you're in a, in a room of about 40 degrees heat, um, mm -hmm. which at the moment it's uh, I'm, I'm in London and it's very hot. So it's pretty much uh, <laughs> easy to do it at home at the minute as well because it's still uh, uh -huh. very hot. Um, but then, yeah, that's that's something that that I quite enjoy, and uh, yeah. it's well, it, it's it's really good because you you sweat so much, you're getting rid of all the toxins and and uh, yeah. uh, and things out of your body anyway. Um, and uh, I've also started doing um, uh, breathing exercises uh, mm -hmm. for following the Wim Hof method. I'm not sure if you're oh, aware yes. of that. Oh yes, the the Ice Man. The Ice Man. Yes, yes. So I came across him. Uh, quite recently, and I've just been following, or uh, you know, just looking at what he does, and looking, at, following other people that follow his method and and uh, follow his exercises and his regimes and stuff, and the benefits that cool. they've gotten out of it. So it's something I'm just starting to do at the minute. Um, I, I wouldn't say I'm I'm there yet, but I'm starting to incorporate that into my into my miracle morning yeah. as well. So you you taking some cold showers. I haven't got that far. <laughs> he's got uh, he's got breathing exercises and stuff that he has on his um, on, there's an app that I've downloaded, or you can just watch yeah. a YouTube video, and it's like a guided breathing exercise. So I've started on that bit, and one of my coaches is encouraging me to do the cold showers and everything. But um, yeah, we'll see. I'll I'll get there eventually. <laughs> see how it goes. Yeah, working yourself up to it. Work my way up to it. Yes, I think it's um, let's say feel the fear and do it anyway. I just need to take a yeah. uh, a leaf out of my own book and just do it. <laughs> <laughs> Are you reading anything good at the moment? I'm actually uh, I'm reading a couple of books at the moment. I like to mix it. Um, so I'm reading um, uh, it, your money or your life. Uh, which is a personal development book all about, you know, how to work on your money mindset. Um, mm -hmm. But uh, it's actually quite poignant that I'm reading a book by a, a Scottish author at the minute. Uh, mm -hmm. Her name is Gail Honeyman. And it's just a, it's a, a, a very easy reading um, novel, if you like. She's, mm -hmm. She writes about this lady who lives in Glasgow. Um, and she's quite a mundane character and it's just talking about her and her life, which sounds very boring, but it's actually very good read. Um, so although I read a lot of personal development stuff, I also mix it up with an odd, uh, easy reading fiction, uh, fiction, yeah. fiction cool. in, in the mix. As well. yeah. 
Um, if you were to go back to the beginning of your property investment journey and, you know, you could speak to, um, you know, younger Niall and sit him down and tell him, you know, a few things about the road ahead and what, what words of advice or encouragement or, or, um, you know, things you would do differently. What, what would you say to your, your younger self at the beginning of your journey? Oh, that's a, that's a very good question. Um, I, I guess I'm, I'm quite an impatient character. So I guess one of the things I would just say is just, you know, be patient. Don't expect things to happen overnight because um, when I started all of this, I had the impression that it was a get rich quick thing or a, an easy fix. And within mm. a short period of time, I'll be out of the day job and everything would be rosy, um, mm -hmm. which obviously isn't the case. Um, well, it definitely wasn't the case in my experience anyway. Um, so just be patient and don't expect miracles to happen overnight. Um, and don't be afraid to take the advice and help of other people. Obviously, you need to vet the people that you're taking the advice from um, and ensure that you're listening to the right people. But when someone with experience and knowledge and has trodden that path before you gives you some advice, then take it on board. Um, what I, I was very naive at the beginning and wanted to do everything myself. Um, mm -hmm. And I soon discovered that that everything was a hell of a lot. <laughs> so there's, there's, a not, there's an awful lot of involvement when it comes to property purchases and property management and that whole process. Um, and I was very naive and thought, yeah, that's fine. I can do that. I can do that. I don't need anyone to help me. I don't need anybody's help. Um, yeah. And soon discovered after buying the first property and driving up to Burnley and trying to do wallpapering and painting and <laughs> everything by myself, I soon discovered, you know what, this is not me. This is not why I started all of this. <laughs> it's, it would have saved me an absolute fortune on time and diesel. Uh, <laughs> just getting a professional painter and decorator in to do the job, who would have done it in half the time and done it yeah. in a much better way. <laughs> I'm definitely guilty of that myself. I, I learned to skim plaster so I could I could save a bit of money on a plaster. And it, would just be it would have been much better just being a professional to do it. Definitely, definitely. I think, yeah. you know, I'm kind of glad in the sense that I did try that myself initially because had I not done mm. it, I wouldn't have realized or I wouldn't have been aware that, um, you know, but it's, it's actually part of the process that I don't enjoy. Um, yeah. That's, I guess, another piece of advice is just do the things that you enjoy and the bits that you don't enjoy, get someone else to do it. Uh, mm. Because you'll otherwise you'll end up resenting it and not mm -hmm. enjoying it. And if you're not enjoying doing what you do, then why the hell are you doing it? <laughs> it's, it's wise words. Like <laughs> <it>. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, we've been talking for over an hour now, Niall. Um, so I think that's um, about a good time to to end things thank you very much for agreeing to come on and it's been lovely talking to you and hearing about your story oh, thank um, you. if i if, do go on a bit <laughs> <laughs> no it's been, it's been great i've loved hearing about it uh if people want to learn like more about you and more about hmo training you you do a podcast and you you run hmo trainings um where can people find out about about that yeah, so we're on our own podcast, and it's called Property Jam. Um, it's basically just myself, my business partner, Matt, and our friend, our good friend and colleague, Joe Acker. Um, we just uh, 
record a podcast, everything to do with human side of property. So it's not a sales technique. It's not anything like that. It's just basically where we sit down, uh, put a mic in front of us and talk about what's gone well, what hasn't gone well and um, everything in between. Um, so it's, uh, yeah, probably jam podcast. We've done about 30 odd episodes now. So there's plenty to catch up on and listen to. Um, awesome. so you, can, you, can, you can download that from wherever, uh, free downloads from uh, Spotify or Apple or wherever. Yeah. Um, and yeah, the HMO training, um, it basically is, it's called the HMO platform. Um, you can find it on Instagram and on Facebook and on LinkedIn. Um, it's just literally the HMO platform and you reach out to us that way. Um, more, like I say, I'm more than happy to have a chat or a call with anyone that wants to find out more um, and just, or even just ask questions uh, as to what I've done or, or what, what I would recommend um, for someone else to do. That's really good of you. No okay. No um, well, thanks very much. Thank you, Stuart. Thank you for having me. I really enjoyed this. Thank you.